Hello, and welcome to Biota. I'm your host, Phil Gibson. The podcast has been on a brief hiatus, but now we're back, and it's great to be in the studio again. One of the changes in the podcast that I'm really excited about is that for at least the next few episodes, I'm going to be joined by a guest co-host. So let me introduce Sarah Sanders. Hello, Sarah, and welcome to the Biota Podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm really glad to be here, and thanks for having me. So how about you introduce the topic we're going to be thinking about today? All right. In this episode and the next one, we'll be exploring a relatively new and innovative field of biology called metagenomics. In this episode, we're focusing on what metagenomics is, why it's important, and what we can learn from metagenomic data. In the next episode, we'll talk about how metagenomics analyses are done. Although metagenomics is relatively new, the technique traces its origins back to the 1980s when a revolutionary technique for making lots of copies of a piece of DNA was developed, and that opened the door to a world of new possibilities for genetic studies. Now, that technique is called the polymerase chain reaction, or PCR for short, and it made it possible to replicate a specific segment of DNA thousands and thousands of times over very quickly and relatively cheaply. PCR has been used by scientists in everything from molecular studies of a particular mutation that can cause disease to helping map the entire genome of different species. Now, 40 years later, scientists are using PCR to develop and use another revolutionary technique called metagenomics that holds a lot of potential for the future, and it's changing how we study topics such as the composition of microbial communities or the evolution of antibiotic resistance in bacteria. So... If you're anything like me, you're probably sitting there asking yourself why you should care about metagenomics and why it's so important in biology now. To answer both of those questions, we're going to speak with an expert on the topic who can tell us not only what metagenomics is, but also explain a whole lot more. So today we're joined by Dr. Andrew Hasley, a postdoctoral researcher in the biotechnology program at North Carolina State University who uses metagenomic approaches in his research. We figured the best place to start was asking Dr. Hasley what genomics is. So that is a big question. Um, Genomics is sort of an umbrella term that captures anything that, any kind of research that involves sequencing at least one genome. So going out from whatever your sample might be, whatever organism you're researching, whatever it might be, you want at least one genome and you want to get all the A's, T's, C's, and G's that are in that genome. So now with an understanding of genomics, we next asked what metagenomics is. So this is a fun one. And actually there are different definitions for metagenomics floating around out there. And uh, some people are very specific about it and some people are a bit more general. So I'll I'll give you both, but I think the general one is more useful. So in the English language, a lot of times when we, when we throw the tag meta on top of something, some word, it's just meant to be self-referential. So in the case of, you know, something like metacognition, that's thinking about thinking. So metagenomics is genomic genomics, which is kind of what it is. So I said before that genomics is looking at at least one genome. Metagenomics is saying, I'm going to look at a bunch of genomes. I'm not just going to sequence one. I'm going to sequence several. That 
is the traditional definition. The more general one also includes things that are um, that may not involve sequencing the entire genome, but just parts of it. And we can talk about that later, but I'm still doing it for many, many different genomes. So I'm either sequencing a bunch of genomes or I'm sequencing several parts of, or one or two parts of a bunch of genomes. So the key here is multiple genomes. Any kind of research question that involves multiple genomes from multiple different organisms. The next thing we wanted to know was what the sequencing of multiple genomes can tell us. It can tell us, I mean, on one hand, there's the really simple answer. Sequencing multiple genomes gives you the gene sequence of all those genomes you just asked for. Now that sounds like kind of a trite, silly answer, but think of all the things you can do with that. You have a pile of sequence information now. What do you want to know? It can tell us what organisms live in a community, and that could be in your gut. That could be in the entire ocean. It can tell us not just who lives there, but what genes do they have? What, are they what, what metabolic functions are they capable of performing? So you can look at not just who's there, but what are the genes that they have in their genomes and look at everybody's. And you can start to ask, okay, what do they do? And you can start looking at those genes and see what functions they perform and everything else. There's also something that's related to metagenomics called metatranscriptomics, and maybe we can get more into that later. And that's a way to ask which genes are turned on in that ecosystem or that gut or whatever it might be right now when I'm doing my sampling. What's turned on, what's turned off. So if you have a question that involves who's there, what can they do, what are they doing in any kind of ecosystem that could be in a bathroom sink, in uh, a, a dog's gut, or like I said, in an entire biosphere, metagenomics is where you want to go to answer that. Metagenomics is useful in this, in, in those types of questions at multiple scales like that because it captures diversity or it captures an entire system. So if I look at the genome of a single organism, there are a lot of questions I can ask about that. I can ask, what does this organism's genome look like? What genes does it have? What functions do those genes perform that we know about in other systems? What might that tell me about how this thing can live? But if I look at a bunch of them, now I can say, not only how does this one live, but how does it compare to this guy over here? How do these things in this group compare to things in that group? How do the genomes of this group of organisms from one type of ecosystem uh, compare to organisms in another type of ecosystem? How does the, gen the, the genomes of the organisms in this healthy um, gut microbiome compare to the one in an unhealthy uh, gut. You can ask questions at a much bigger scale that usually involve some kind of comparison and capturing the diversity of what's going on in a system as opposed to just zeroing in on one little thing. And I want to be careful here because I don't want it to sound like I am bashing on like looking at a single organism, looking at genomics, heck, even looking at a single gene. Because as we'll probably get to, 
all that information is important and, and metagenomics relies on all of that. But metagenomics allows you to take yourself up a notch and say, not what's happening in one organism in one environment, but what's happening with a bunch of organisms and a bunch of environments and start learning how ecosystems work, uh, whether that's inside you and me or out in a desert. Of course, no technique or approach is perfect. So we asked about the challenges and limitations of metagenomics. Sure. So there are, there are definitely limitations. And um, I want to go back to something I mentioned a little bit earlier. There's kind of, again, depending on who you, who's arguing with you, there are really two kinds of metagenomics. There's the metagenomics that does indeed sequence as many genomes as it can out of a given set of samples. And there's also the type of genomics where I might look at a single part of the genome that is variable across organisms. And I've got a database somewhere where I've got a bunch of known taxa, so species or families or genera. Um, and I can compare my little parts that I'm sequencing out of all these thousands of genomes that are in the samples. I can compare them to that database and say, well, this, this part came from that organism because it matches that organism in the database. If I don't do the one or two parts thing, this is called, which is called amplicon sequencing or meta barcoding uh, sometimes, if I don't do that and I do do the whole genomes approach, to get the information about, I can sequence the genomes all day long without knowing anything else. But then I've just got a bunch of A's, T's, C's, and G's. I can even start trying to predict, because we know what genes look like, where the genes are in those metagenomes. But to have any idea about what they do, and this goes back to what I was saying about you need to rely on all the smaller scale stuff. To have any idea what they do, I need to go out to databases of known genes and say, what, what do we know about this gene X that I am finding in a bunch of my metagenomes? What do we know about it? So I still have to compare. And so that might be one of the biggest limitations <clears throat> is that to really leverage the power of metagenomics, I'm still dependent on databases and existing knowledge and people generating new knowledge about what individual genes and proteins and things like that do in different contexts. So the conclusions that I can draw from metagenomics are often only as good as the databases that I can compare against and draw a bunch of information together from. Another limitation is that I might not be able to get everything. You never sequence every last little nucleotide in a given sample. There are various reasons that that's the case, but it's definitely fair to say that if something's rare enough, I might not catch it in my, in my metagenomic sequencing. Um, and so the really rare, interesting things, I may have a hard time finding. Um, and another big one is that it's just a lot of data to go through, and we're still learning how to analyze it. We're still learning what are the right ways to assemble genomes from the metagenomic sequence data. What are the right ways to compare one sample to another that you don't draw erroneous conclusions just because of random chains? What are the best ways to do that? So it's new enough that we're still learning how 
to analyze the sequence data we get. Because all the sequencer does is gives you a pile of sequence. After that, it's all computation and mathematics and statistics that actually get the, the metagenomic information. And, and we're still learning good ways of doing that. Um, so yeah, those are, I think those are the, the biggest ones. Um, we're dependent on the databases that we have and that we need to continue to build. And sometimes those just don't have good sampling of all the life on the planet. Uh, and it can be tough to get all the sequence that you have. And we're still learning. So I guess that's two, I mean three instead of two. We wrapped up this first part of the interview by asking where he thinks metagenomics is going. Ooh, that's a good question. Where is it going? I think the biggest thing that, that is happening now, in addition to just like being able to assemble a gene, all the different genomes out of this pile of sequence you get and, and, and some of the, the nuts and bolts of, of getting things into a, a, a place where you can look at them uh, and learn something. In addition to sort of the algorithmic development there on the computation side, I think one of the biggest things is being able to integrate metagenomics data with other information we have and how to do that. Um, that that's where the power comes in. So, so for instance, I'll, I'll tell you, if, if I had unlimited funds and unlimited time and could just follow my dreams, right? What I would love to be able to get to the point where we could do, and I think this is where some people are heading. Um, and what I'm about to say is more of a, an environmental thing, but you could think about this in, you know, a human gut or a skin sample or whatever you want. But I want to be able to go out to a lake. And when I look at that lake, who's in there? What do they do? How does that ecosystem work? How does it function? How does it produce what it produces? I want to be able to sequence that lake and do the metagenomics on it. Fine. But then I also want to be able to grab all the proteins I can out of there and learn what those proteins are. And I want to get all the variables on all these abiotic things that are going on. And I want to be able to stitch all of that together into a model of how that ecosystem works. So that involves integrating a bunch of different data at a bunch of different levels. And that's, that's where the exciting stuff is, is to me anyway, is being able to combine metagenomics with all these other biological tools for gaining information about how life works and actually making metagenomics connect with all that. Right now, that can be, that can be difficult. That concludes part one of our interview with Dr. Hasley. In it, he gave an overview of metagenomics, what it is, what it can tell us, and some of its limitations. Dr. Hasley will explain how metagenomic studies are conducted, how samples are collected, and how the data are analyzed. That concludes this episode of Biota. If you want to learn more about metagenomics, the two resources we use to prepare for this episode are... First, a primer on metagenomics by Woolley, Godzik, and Friedberg. It was published in 2010 in the journal PLOS Computational Biology. And second, Next Generation Metagenomics, Methodological Challenges and Opportunities by Ludadio, Bolci, Stranati, and Karasimi. And that paper was published in Omics, a journal of integrative biology in 2019. Both give a good overview of metagenomics, and we have links to them on the Biota website at jphilgibsonlab.oucreate.edu. Thanks again to Dr. Hasley for his time, and thanks again to my co-host, Sarah Sanders. It's been great having you here. 
Thanks so much for having me on. That brings us to the end of this episode. So once again, thanks for listening. Have a great day and take very good care of your genetic material. Biota is a production of Under the Juniper Studios. All opinions expressed are those of the author alone. Thank you.